Thessalonians. We're in the new series in the book of 1 Thessalonians, so go open your Bibles there, and uh, we're going to get started. Um, a, a great blessing of God is having a mentor. You, you guys say that you have had or you currently have a mentor, like someone who maybe you don't formally call them like, oh, you're my mentor, thank you. But like you just see them, like they're in this, you're in this mentorship relationship with someone. Anybody say that you have that? Yeah, a few people, yeah? It's a great blessing, isn't it? To have someone that you can go to all the time uh, with questions, with your struggles, asking for prayer, they pray with you. Just anything that goes on in life, you can go to this mentor and, uh, and, and they help you. They're helpful. Um, in Scripture, we learn of some churches who uh, did not do things well. Right? If you've read the book of Revelation, you know Revelation 3, um, in the surrounding those verses, it talks, it talks about churches and, and the mistakes that they made. And there's other examples, like the church in Corinth, uh, that we know it wasn't good. They made some big mistakes. The church in Corinth, Paul had to write this letter to the Corinthians, uh, because these people who were professing faith in Christ, they, they were, the word there is, is carnal. They, they were living the, the, the desires of their flesh. They were pursuing sin. It was not a, a good situation. And so, so Paul had to write, he wrote this letter to them, and he was correcting them, and, and, and it was harsh. And, and there were more letters even that like, we don't have in Scripture, but he refers to them, and, and he says that he wrote these letters with tears and anguish because he was thinking about their sin and how they need to repent of their sin, and, and he said some harsh things. And so we, we can look at that church in, in Corinth, and we can say, okay, well, that's not the example to follow. The things that they were doing, the things that Paul is, is, is confronting, and calling out in Scripture, we should not pattern our lives after them. But the great thing, the awesome thing about the letter of First and Second Thessalonians is that Paul primarily was writing these letters to them to be encouraging, to encourage them to, to say, well done, good job, I've heard about your faith, I've heard about the things that you've done, and it's good, God is pleased with this. Right? And so it's important for us to look in Scripture and see, okay, this is, these are bad examples of, of church, but these are bad examples of Christians, but then we also have really good ones. And so we're going to look in 1 Thessalonians, and, and as Jose was saying, it's super practical. And I'm just being honest with you, that's my goal for this series, is to be as practical as possible. To look at the example of the Thessalonians and, and to just to see the things that Paul talks about and writes about to them. It's just, okay... What does this mean, and how can we apply it to our lives? How can we be like the church in Thessalonica? Right? I want you to just think how, how, how awesome it is that these Christians, they received a letter from the Apostle Paul, and maybe they were like fearful they'd heard about the letter that Corinth received, possibly. And so they're thinking, like, uh-oh, here we go. But they open it, and it's Paul saying, good job keep going. I'm encouraging you. And not to mention this, but the Thessalonians, they were in the midst of great suffering and persecution for their faith in Christ. So that's a great thing that we get to read about what they were doing and how Paul is saying, good job. You're setting a great example for Christians to follow, for other churches to follow. He even says that the other churches in the area in Macedonia and Achaia, he says, you have been an example for these other churches to follow. And they were a young church. They were, pretty, they were pretty much new converts. And he's saying, well done. 
You're facing all this persecution, all these difficulties, and, and you are leading the way. You're leading by example. And so it's important for us to understand that that's, that's the church in Thessalonica, that they are a, a great example for us as Christians today to follow, right? So it's important for us to, to read this, to understand that you know, if Paul, if Paul is praising this church for what they're doing, as a local church, as a ministry, shouldn't we try to pattern our lives after what they were doing? Shouldn't we as a ministry, as, as a church, right? As Compass Bible Church, as this ministry, the bridge, shouldn't we try and, and pursue the things that, that they were doing to live in that way? I think that we should. And so that's going to be our goal with this series, is just looking at what Paul says about this church and how we can emulate what they were doing. All right, so we're going we're gonna to do the whole first chapter, and that sounds crazy because we're just coming out of Judges, and we did like three chapters at a time. Chapter 1 is 10 verses, okay? So we're just doing 10 verses tonight. It's all of chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles open, look with me now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Sil- Silvanus, Silvanus, that is Silas, by the way. Paul, Silas, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Right, so we need to understand that Paul, he has said a lot of really great things about the church in Thessalonica here. He's praising them for these things. So what I, what I want us to do tonight is, is to look at this list of things that Paul's given and say, okay, now we need to pattern ourselves after this. We need to behave in a similar way as, as a church, as a ministry. This is the way that we should be, be trying to, to live. All right. So in Paul's greeting, like I said, we see that he has company, Silas and Timothy, and, and he's writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, grace to you and peace. It's very similar to all the rest of his, his or most, I should say, of his, his introductions to his letter. And then immediately following his greeting, what he does is, is he tells them that they, him and Silas and Timothy, are always thanking God for them. They're always praying and thanking God for this church, for these Christians. He's thankful for these people, these people who they've responded to the gospel, they've put their trust in Christ. He's thankful for the encouragement that he receives when he hears about their faith, when he hears about the things that they're doing. He's encouraged, he's strengthened, he, it brings him joy. And so Paul specifically says that he's, he prays, and when he thanks God, he thanks God for their work 
of faith, their work of faith. And so it's very clear when you read Paul and his, his letters that salvation is done completely by God, right? We don't work for salvation. God saves us, right? And he even says here, he has chosen you. God is sovereign. God and his sovereignty, he, he saves. It's his, his authority, his call, not us. We don't work for that. But Paul is also really clear in his letters that true faith in Christ is a faith that works, we don't work for salvation, but when we put our faith in Jesus, that's when the good works come. So if true faith in Christ is seen by, by you living it out, by you being obedient, by, by being faithful to what God's word says. And so what he's saying when he's saying, we thank God for you, he's saying, we thank God for you because we can see the work that you're doing, that you are leading by example. Your faith is pushing you, is motivating you to have these good works, and, and we're thankful for it. So he's thanking God for these things. And he says, for your labor of love. Right? There's more. Their labor. Their labor for the gospel. Right? The gospel is sounding forth. This is the phrase that he uses later. It is going out, sounding forth into the world. And he's thankful for this labor of love. And, and not only is he, is he praising the work they're doing, but he's saying the work that you're doing is coming out of your love for these people. You love lost people. You love people who don't know Christ. And, and so because of your love for them, it's pushing you and motivating you to work to share the gospel. And he's saying, and I, and I thank God for this. I thank God because it's so encouraging and it brings me so much joy when I think about you and when I hear about you. So thank you, God, for what I'm seeing in them. And then he says, I also thank God for your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he knows that these people, these Christians, are facing persecution. They're facing difficult times. And, and he sees them being steadfast immovable in their faith, right? They're, they're not crying out and saying, God, where are you? You're not even real. We made a mistake by putting our trust in you. Or we're going to go back to these other gods. They're, they're immovable. They're standing firm because of the hope they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're enduring these things. So the, the Thessalonians and all of these things, they're modeling this faith for everyone to see. And, and it's being talked about. Like there, there's, there's murmur, there's talk about this church and it's going forth through the region. And, and we're going to see even later that it, it's getting back around to Paul. Like Paul's hearing about their faith from other people, from other churches, from other places are coming to him and saying, hey, have you heard about this church? Like, oh, we heard about when you went there and how they received you. And like, man, what they're doing is so great. And he's like, man, this is encouraging to me. And so he says, I thank God. We thank God every day, constantly. Because of what you're doing, because of your faith, I'm thankful to God for that. And so what he's doing here, what he says right here in the opening, is, is he's modeling for us, for, for every Christian, what we should be doing. Here's point number one. We should all be, we should give thanks to God for other Christians. We should give thanks to God for other Christians. Now I know this is, this is, Paul giving thanks for them, but he's giving thanks for the Thessalonians because of the great work that they're doing, right? But we need, we need to follow this. We need to follow the model that he set. Christians, we should be thanking God for each other. Like how often do you pray, and in your prayers, you thank God for the other Christians in your life? And you look around this room, how often are you thanking God for these people? We should be doing that. 
We should all be involved in this. Look, when you look again at the specific things that Paul is thanking God for, he's thanking God because he sees the obedience of the Thessalonians. He sees how they're being faithful and they're working hard for the gospel. He's saying, God, thank you for that. Thank you that they're doing that. Thank you that this is encouraging to me. So Paul was paying attention to these people. He knew what was going on. He wasn't, he wasn't near them, right? He was, he was writing letters and sending messengers to get there, and they were communicating through letters, and he was hearing stories from other people, but, but his ears were out. He was paying attention to what was going on. He wasn't just ignoring these people. Like he knew what they were doing. He knew how they were working to promote the gospel. And he, he paid attention is the point. He, he paid attention not only to them, but to all the churches that, that he wrote to and more. He paid attention to what was happening in the lives of these Christians. And we can see this because these are not just general thank you God prayers. Like when we think about how do we pray, how often do we, do we start to pray and it's just like general vague stuff, right? Like thanks God for this day. Thanks for the blessings. Thanks for life. Amen. Okay, like that's a good start, but let's get more specific. And he gets very specific about what he's thankful for and, and why he's thankful. And, and he can be specific because he is paying attention to these other Christians. He knows what's going on in their lives. All right, so again, I'm going to ask you this question. How often do you thank God for other Christians? I mean, think about the people Maybe even in this room, the, people, the Christians that you're closest to, how often are you thanking God for each other? How often are you praying and thanking God for, for Compass Bible Church, for our church as a whole? How often are you doing this? Like, how often do you even think about each other? I mean, do you know? Like, the question is, do, are you paying attention? You see how Paul was paying attention? Are you paying attention to what? the other people in this ministry, the, the people in our church are doing, these gospel efforts, do you, even, do you know what's going on? Are you aware of, of the work that the people at your table right now are doing to promote the gospel? Are you aware of, of their situation? Do, do you know what they're going through? Do you know about their, their life? Do you know? And, and if, you, if you're paying attention and you're starting to hear about the good things that they're doing, right? About how they're doing evangelism or, or, or they're in their classes and they're doing this. Like, like well, whatever it might be. You, you, if you're paying attention, you can learn about what's going on with each other. And then you can thank God for it. And you can be encouraged by each other if you were just paying attention to what's going on, right? And, and it's so easy to have tunnel vision. It's so easy to just, just to come to church and come to a ministry like this and just pay attention to me or, or the two or three friends that I'm closest with and not pay attention and, and, and understand what's going on as a whole with all of these people, right? But I just want to just think about it. What, what if when you came here to the bridge... You just started like talking to everybody, right? Asking everybody like, what's going on with your life, right? And as you're doing this, and, and you're doing it like, because you really love them and you care, and you're hearing about what's going on, you're going to hear some pretty awesome things. You're going to hear some hard things, okay? Yeah, someone's going to be honest enough to say, yeah, this week's been hard, I've been struggling, okay? Well, then you know what to pray for, right? You're not going to say, thank you, God, for the struggle, but God, be with them in the struggle. You've you, you got to pay attention, and you're going to hear things about, yeah, I was talking to this person and, and I was evangelizing and this happened and it's so awesome. And you, you can be encouraged by that. 
And then whenever you're praying and you're thanking God for them, hey, thank you, God, because I know that they're working hard to promote the gospel, and that was encouraging to me, so thank you for the encouragement that I received because I was just talking to them, because I was talking to this person. You see that? We have to pay attention to each other. So, like... This isn't just me saying, like, oh, you got to come to the bridge, the bridge, the bridge, the bridge. Like, I, like, you should, right? But not just here, but the church as a whole, right? Like, if you're not coming to weekend services as well and sitting under the preaching of our, our senior pastor, you should be doing that, okay? This, this is not, like, church. This is a, a sub-congregational ministry, small group ministry, okay? Like, you should be plugged in with the entire church. And being plugged in with the whole church, it's, that's another opportunity to meet people, to pay attention to what's going on, to be encouraged by them, and to thank God for these people. You understand? Like, this is what Paul is modeling. So look, I, I hope that you appreciate this ministry. I hope that you appreciate your church the way that you should. And, and I hope that you see how valuable it is to have a community like this. And my assumption is that since you're here, you do see the value, that you chose to be here. You, you, you drove yourself, or you, got, you caught a ride, or whatever, and you're here, and you see the value of being here, okay? But don't just stop there. See the value of, of getting to know each other, of, of knowing what's going on in their lives. So that way you can pray for them, and you can be encouraged by what's going on, the same way that Paul was encouraged, and he was thanking God for these Christians, Right? I mean, I already said this, but I mean, it's, 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 you're just having conversations with each other. And, and you are encouraged because you hear this story or you hear about something that happened or, or whatever. And then whenever you, you actually go to apply what we're talking about now, like tonight or tomorrow, and you're praying and you're thanking God, you have all these specific things to thank God for. Right? It's no more of just, oh, thanks, thanks for this and that person, but thank you for this person and, and thank you for what they're doing to, to share the gospel and their efforts and it's encouraging to me and it, it even convicted me because I heard about, about how they're sharing the gospel and, and how they are loving other people and God, I know that I'm not loving people the way that I should and how did you get all this? Because you were talking to someone. Because you were getting to know each other, right? You're paying attention to what's going on. So we should be thanking God for each other, for other Christians, but, but really it's, it's paying attention to what's going on in the lives of other Christians to, to know what to pray for. And just like Jose said, another way to do this is to scan that QR code on the back of the thing, the, the, the flyer, and we have so many prayer requests about this ministry, about each other, about our church, so many things to be praying for. If you're thinking, well, I need to be, okay, you're right, I need to be praying, but I don't know what to be praying for. Scan the QR code. There's a whole list there, Right? And then make another list, a prayer list. Just, just, how about maybe just going around the room and asking people, how can I pray for you? Make a list and then just start praying, right? Thanking God, and it's much more than just thanking God, it's praying for each other. Uh, anything that may come up, we've got to be thanking God for each other. We've got to understand how important it is to have a community like this, to, to be involved in a local church is so important. God has blessed us so immensely with this community, with this church. We've got to understand that. We've got to be thanking God for each other, right? So Paul, he continues in the beginning of this letter, the very beginning still, and he's talking about the faith of the Thessalonians, and, and he gives them something that I'm, I'm sure that they were encouraged by. He, he tells these people, the Apostle Paul, he tells these people that he is sure of their faith in Christ. He, he's telling them, I am sure that, that you guys are saved, essentially is what he's saying. Imagine what it would be like for someone like the Apostle Paul 
to say that to you. Like, I thank God for you every day. I, I am sure that the gospel has done a transforming work in your life. I am sure about this. And how is he sure? Because he knows, he's going to tell us in a second, but he, because he knows about, first of all, their response to the gospel, and then he sees their obedience after. When you think about a church that was experiencing hardships and persecution because of their faith, and they needed encouragement, how encouraging it would be for them to read this. And, and listen, like without what Paul says next, honestly, like this, this could sound really like cultish, okay? Like you've heard, you've heard stories of cults and different crazy things, right? Where, where, where cults, the leaders are going to go around and say, like, I know you're the, you're the real deal, you're, the, you're chosen, you're, but you're not, you're not, like whatever. That's not what he's doing, okay? He's not just saying like, oh, you're chosen, you're real, you're not, you're not. He, 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 he explains it, okay? It's not like this whole Jehovah's Witness thing. <laughs> Guys, I, w- I had a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness one time, and um, he was asking me like my view of Revelation and the 144,000. What do you think about that? And I was telling him what I think, and he was like, oh, well, that's not right. And I was like, okay, well, tell me, what, what is right? And he's like, well, it's this special group of people in, the, in, the, in the, my faith and whatever. And I was like, okay, well, how do you know? And he's like, oh, because like my mentor was one of the 144,000. Like, okay, how do you know that? Well, because he told me. <laughs> you, you, okay, you believe that because he told you. Did he tell you like how... You could be? He's like, no. He just told me he was, right? Like, that's, that's it's weird. That's not what Paul's doing here, okay? What he's doing is he's telling them, I'm sure of this. I'm sure of, of how genuine you, genuine you are. And he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You see, that's how he can be sure, is that the gospel, when he says our gospel, the, like, we, we should see the gospel that way, guys. Not, not like we created it, but we should own it. It's, it's, it's our, the gospel that saved us. That's what Paul's getting at. The gospel that saved me and saved Silas and Timothy, the one that we are, we're missionaries, we're going out, and our lives are devoted to this. It's our gospel. We know that this gospel has come to you with power, not just in word, but with power and with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So you think about Paul as a traveling missionary. He's probably seen a lot of people uh, who heard the gospel in word. He, he preached the gospel. He told them. They heard words, but then nothing happened after that. As in, there, there, was, no, there was no repentance. There was no faith. And so what he's, he's saying is that these Thessalonians, he knows that, that they are genuine because the gospel came in power. God did something in them. Right? He already established God. God chose them. God saves. It's, it's up to him. It's not our works. It's not our goodness. God did this. He moved in power, and he saw their response. And he says, with full conviction. He knows these people were convicted of their sin, they repented of their sin. They put their trust in Jesus. So he knows this is what happened. Okay, so here's point number two. We've got to understand the gospel demands repentance and faith. Right? That's really basic, especially for people who've, who've been raised in the church. Okay, but look, we've got to be reminded of this. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ demands. The gospel demands Repentance and faith, as in it requires that. Like if you want to, the the proper response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is repentance and faith. You're convicted of your sin, you repent of your sin, and you put your, your faith, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to understand this for a few different reasons. First of all, it's important for us to understand this for our own sakes, just for ourselves. When you think 
about your testimony. When you think, if someone asks you, hey, can you share your testimony with me? Are you, are you a Christian? And you say yes, share your testimony with me. If when you're sharing your story, if, if nothing, if you don't even mention repentance and faith, that you need to reevaluate whether or not you actually are a Christian. Look, I'm telling you this because I love you. I love you so much. I'm telling you this because I love you. This is what the gospel requires. If you're you're telling your testimony and and it's something like, yeah, you know, I just came to church and this is is good stuff and like, and then, you know, I just, I believe. Like, okay, that's a good place to start, but listen, let's talk about, did you repent of your sin? Do you feel convicted of your sin? Do you, do you hate the things that God says to hate? Like, what's your relationship with sin? Do you hate sin? Have you repented of it? Has there been a moment where you actively, you put your trust in Jesus? You said, it's not me, it's not my righteousness, but it's the righteousness of Christ and him alone. And it's through the gospel that Jesus lived the perfect life and he died on the cross and he took the punishment for sin that I deserve and he was resurrected on the third day and he defeated sin and death and you can put your trust in him and you can find forgiveness because of what he's done. If that needs to be like the focus of your testimony, that you have put your trust in Jesus, that you have repented and put your trust in him. And so he's saying, yeah, I, I know this has happened because I, I, I know the conviction that you guys felt, and, and, I've, and I know that you've repented of your sin, and you put your trust, and now I can see it working in the way that you're living. Because we know that when you put your trust in Jesus, your life is never going to be the same. You're not conforming to the world anymore, but you're conforming to the image of Jesus, so it's so important for you to know for your own sake that you've got to have repentance and faith in order to be a Christian. But it's also important for the sake of those that you counsel, that, that maybe the people that confide in you, that come to you with questions, the, the, the people that maybe you're discipling, when someone comes to you and, and they say that they're doubting their faith, like where should you start? Right? Maybe you should probably start with asking them, why, what's going on, tell me what's happening. But then you start, you go back, okay, why don't you tell me your testimony? Like, tell me about when God saved you. And then you're listening, and you don't hear anything about repentance and faith? That's where you need to go. That's the direction the conversation should go. Okay, listen, well, we know this is what the gospel demands, that if you want to have a proper, this is the proper response, that if you want to be saved, repentance and faith, this is what has to happen, right? You see how, like, we got to make sure that, that repentance and faith, and, and maybe you've been surprised, and if not, then one day you will be, like, about how many testimonies you'll hear, and there won't be anything about repentance and faith. There won't be anything about sin. There won't be anything about that. We have to understand that if you don't hear that, then that's a problem. And it's helpful for us to know this, because in these conversations, in, in, in your discipleship relationships and in, in whatever, that's the approach we have to take. We have to understand, Right? And then finally, it's important for us to know this because we've got to keep in mind that the life of a Christian will continue in repentance. Right? Yeah, it's, it's you repent, like, like once you, you repent, you put your trust in Jesus, but after that, we continue there. Anytime we sin, we confess it to God, we turn away from it, and, and we keep pursuing righteousness. We've got to understand that that's so important to the, the life of a Christian. And you look at the end of verse 5, he says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So Paul, what he's saying is that his behavior, his conduct, the, the conduct of him and Silas and Timothy, it, it's not contradicting the message of the gospel. 
meaning that he, he's preaching the gospel, they're, they're proclaiming the gospel, but he, he knows that their lives are in line with what Scripture says. And he's not saying this to be arrogant and to say, look at me, I'm the best. He's not saying that. He's saying, uh, we came to you, we preached the gospel to you, and we're living in line with it. And he's telling them, and now you're doing the same thing. And that's what you need to do. You need to be obedient. You need to follow Christ in this way. And so their lives are in line with what the gospel requires. And so look, if, if, you, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, you have to understand that you have to repent of your sin and then put your trust in him. Okay, That's what it requires. And if you have, if you say that you are a Christian, got to be continuing in repentance, right? We, we talk about this so much in our, in our Judges series, but you can't be okay with sin. You should never get to a point where you're just being complacent. You should be continuing in repentance. Your conduct should reflect what Scripture says. The things that God says that he loves, you should be doing those things. That's what your life should look like, right? So, okay, how, how else? How else can Paul be confident that the Thessalonians are true converts, okay? Well, he points to their conduct, right? And I've said that, but we're going to look, at, he takes a deeper look at their conduct about the things that, that they do. So first he says, we came to you, we preached the gospel, and we didn't live a, a life that's, that's contradictory to what the gospel says. And, and now, I'm looking at your life, Thessalonians, and you're doing the same thing. Your conduct is showing me that you love God, and that you're striving to be obedient. And so he says this, and you became imitators of us. Now again, he's not saying, we're so great, you have to follow us, because he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Right, so he, he says this elsewhere, he says, he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's following what Christ is doing. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So Paul is confident in their conversion. He's confident that they are true, genuine believers because of their conduct, because they are being obedient to Christ. They are willing to suffer. They are remaining joyful in their sufferings. And they're being a great example for these other churches to follow. And you've got to understand, these are things that only Christians will, will do. right? Here's point number three. Display your faith through your conduct. Display your faith through your conduct. The Thessalonians, they set an example of faith in Christ that we should strive to follow. And when you scan these verses that we just read, 6 through 8, we should, we should try to emulate this, the things that they were doing, the way that they were living out their faith. If we say that we've put our trust in Christ, we should be striving to do the same things. So after conversion, after repentance and faith, a Christian will imitate Christ. That just means following his example, doing what the Bible says to do. Like, we've got to get that. You've got to understand that. A Christian will obey Christ. And he says that he sees that in them, and they're doing this. And a Christian will strive to obey Christ no matter the circumstances. And so that means like being on guard against sin. 
Like filling your minds with God's word, guarding your heart, spending, spending time in the presence of God. We've got to do these things because we know that after conversion, after you put your trust in Jesus, you should start to look more like Jesus. So we have to be, be participating in these godly habits and opening God's word and making sure that we're conforming to him. So that's what Paul means when he says they become imitators of us. He can say this because he knows that he and Silas and Timothy are striving to imitate Christ. They're striving to do that. And so Christians, especially seasoned Christians, we should be able to say this along with Paul. Right? We should, we, if a new Christian comes to you and says, look, I, I, I put my faith in Christ, like I, I did this, but look, I need help. I, what should I do? A Christian should be able to say, do what I do. Not in this arrogant way, look at me, look how great I am, but look, I'm trying my best to follow Christ. And so you need to do the same thing. That's what Paul is saying. Display your faith through your conduct. So that means that we can't pick and choose what we're going to obey. We can't obey what we want in God's word and to pick and choose and be like that. We can't do that. We have to obey Christ, and that's final. All right, and so a Christian we also follow this example. We also will, will put our faith on display whenever we endure sufferings. When, when we're willing to face hardships and face persecution because of our faith in Jesus and we can be steadfast like these Christians, right? that's, that's our faith on display. I'm saying, look, you, you can say whatever you want to me. You can call me whatever name you want. You can make fun of me. You can leave me out. Like, whatever. I don't care. It's not going to move me. Like, I, I am going to stand firm and be steadfast in Christ. My faith in him is not going to move. You can do whatever you want. That's what the Thessalonians were doing. Steadfast, immovable. You just got to understand that this is what's going to come for the true Christian as well. This is what Jesus said in, in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he's saying that to Christians. In the world, when you're here, you're going to face tribulation. You're going to face persecution. Especially when you're doing everything you can to put your faith on display. Right? Like People should be able to look at you and me as Christians and just know, okay, something's different about them. And what that's going to do to people who aren't Christians and who are giving themselves over to the lusts of their flesh, they're going to see the way that we behave, and they're just going to start to malign us. That's what, that's what First Peter says. He's going to, they're, they're going to make fun of us. They're going to tell us that we're ridiculous and call us stupid and all these things. But we're just going to say, okay, yeah, whatever. You can say whatever you want, but it's not going to budge me. I'm steadfast here in my faith in Christ. I'm going to obey Christ no matter what. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, I'm going to keep obeying Christ because I love him and my life is about him and his glory and not about pleasing you or, or other people. And that's the, the, the example that the Thessalonians set and we've got to follow this. They remained joyful through their hardships and, and we, can, we can show other people about our faith in Christ if we remain joyful through our hardships. Right? So I've got a, just a question for you is, how do you respond to life's difficulties? I mean, think about the, the last time that you walked through something difficult, whatever it may be, and that's a broad category, but the last time something happened and it was difficult, how did you respond? How did you act? What did you say? What did you do? What did you think? Christians should respond with joy. 
And that's all over the Bible. That's all over Scripture. We respond with joy, right? That's countercultural. That is so backwards from what the world says. But that's a mark of a Christian. That's a mark of someone who has genuinely repented and put their trust in Jesus, that you can respond to difficulties with joy. That, that it doesn't take your joy away. That you don't just, just see it and just give up and get angry and throw your hands up and start to question God, but you say, okay, God, I trust you. Yeah, this isn't a good situation. This is hard, but God, I trust you. I trust that you know what you're doing, and I trust that I still have the joy and the hope of Christ, and so I'm not going to let it change me. I'm still going to be joyful. I'm still going to smile. I'm still going to go through my life this way, no matter what happens, no matter, no matter what's going on. So think about it. If, if you, instead of responding that way, you're responding with anger and frustration or you feel inconvenienced or, or whatever, that's not the proper response. The proper response is to continue on with joy because we have the peace of Christ in our hearts. We, we can be joyful all of the time because of the victory that we have in Christ. So truly, I've said this before, but Christians should be the most hopeful and the most joyful people in the world. Like, think about that. We have the hope of Christ. He has overcome. He's the triumphant one. He's triumphed over sin, over death. Because of that, because we put our trust in him, we know that we are victorious with him. That sin no longer has, has a hold on us. And that no matter what life throws at us, no matter how hard life gets, we can always find hope in Him. And no matter how bad our life gets on earth, we know that we have the promise of eternity. We should be the most hopeful and joyful people in the world because no one else has what we have. People may have like, like better, whatever, worldly provisions than you have, whatever that might mean, cars, money, house, whatever. They might have the, the better stuff, okay? But they don't really because you, as a Christian, and I, we have eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. So that should provide us hope and joy that, that can't be taken away. And so what Paul is saying is, I see this in you, Thessalonians. Like, I'm hearing about this. And be encouraged. And he's thanking God. I thank God because of this. And you're encouraging me to be this way. And then he talks about how the gospel is sounding forth from them. And so we see that we're following the example the Thessalonians set, that Christians, we, should be passionate about evangelism. We need to be passionate about this. We need to have a passion, have this burning desire to tell the people that we know, that, that don't know Christ, to tell them about the gospel to present the gospel to them, to be praying for these people. The Thessalonians set this example and in that, that phrase, sounding forth, other translations use the phrase, rang out. And so it's, it's also you, the same phrase is used in antiquity, right? In, in other, uh, other writings back then, okay? And, and it's used to describe claps of thunder or, or uh, uh, loud cries of a multitude, this big, large crowd. You know, you've been to like a big football game and you can just hear like the, the crowds. You guys don't really like football, I forgot. Uh, you've, been, you've been to a big crowd before, all right? And uh, you hear the, just how loud it is, or you hear thunder, like just, the, the, it's just so loud. He's using that to describe the way that the gospel is going forth. He, he's saying, yeah, you guys are, are pushing and, and promoting the gospel in, in, in a great way. Like, so many people are hearing about the gospel from you guys. It's going out far. It's going out in, in, in strength. It's this great force from the church in Thessalonica. And so what he's saying, he literally says, your faith, it's gone everywhere. 
No, of course, he doesn't mean everywhere. It's in the whole world. But everywhere in that region, the people who, who know about Thessalonica, they know about the church there. Everyone's known about it. And how does that happen? Because they are going out and they're telling people about the gospel. They're passionate about this. Like, they've thought, God saved us. We have the message of the gospel, and it needs to sound forth. It needs to ring out from us. We have the message of the gospel of salvation, and we have to tell people about it. And Paul is saying, is that he's encouraged by this. So look, do do you have just one person in your life right now? One person in your life right now that you know is not a Christian, is not saved, and you're praying for that person, and you're praying for God to to give you opportunities to share the gospel, and you're inviting that person to church with you, and you are looking for gospel opportunities, Do do you have one person? We should all have at least that one person in our lives that we are passionately trying to share the gospel with them. And you guys know that we do campus evangelism, and look, of course, that's not the only way to evangelize. Like, and it shouldn't be the only way that you're evangelizing, too. You think about all the people that you have in your classes and at your job like, who, who don't know Christ. Look for conversation. Like, pray for conversation. Pray for God to open a door to share the gospel with them. Like, we can't just nonchalantly go about our days walking by and having conversations with so many people who don't know Christ and never look or pray for an opportunity to share it. That's wrong. And so he's saying, look, the Thessalonians, you guys are doing a great job with this. And as we read this, we need to realize this, this, is, what, this is what faith in Christ does. This is what it should look like. And so we should be passionate about this as well. We've got to display our faith through our conduct. Right? And so the impact of the Thessalonians, it, it went so far that it's like, it's, it's full circle come back to Paul. Like, he's elsewhere, and he's hearing about the Thessalonians from other people. Like, how crazy would that be? This church, right? He, he's, he's helped them, right? And then he's talking to other people, and they're like, hey, Paul, have you heard about this church in Thessalonica? And he's like, well, yeah, I've heard about it. Like, have you heard about, like, the good work they're doing? Or he's meeting people elsewhere, and, and they have put their trust in Christ because of mission efforts from this church. And he's like, okay, yeah, you, you know the God. Like, it says that. It says, I, I might be getting ahead of myself, but it says, um, did, I, did I not read this? I'm sorry, guys, hang on. Where he says, uh, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So what, what that's saying is that he's finding people, and, and the gospel's already been there, and how did it get there? Because of the church in Thessalonica. And he's talking to these people, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, we, we know. Like, like, we've repented, we've put our faith in Christ. Well, where'd you hear it? Oh, those Thessalonians. And he's like, that's awesome. Like, it got, like, they beat me to you guys. Like, this is, you hear how cool that is? The gospel is sounding forth from the church in Thessalonica, right? So, look, we've got to be passionate about evangelism. So he's starting to hear about them, right? In verse 9, he says, For they themselves, these other people, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. All right, so like I said, other people are hearing about the Thessalonians, they're hearing about this, and they're hearing about how these Thessalonians, they were pagans, they were, they were following these, these idols, they turned from their idols, they turned from them, they repented from this, this false religion, 
And they put their trust in Jesus, and, and now they're worshiping the living and the true God. And now what the Thessalonians are doing is they're waiting on the return of Christ. They're, they're, they're getting busy while they're waiting for the return of Christ. And so, look, we can see that the return of Jesus, this impending return of Christ, it's motivating the Thessalonians to obedience. It's motivating them to get to work for the glory of Christ. So here's point number four. Let Christ's return motivate obedience. Christ is going to return. He is the promised Messiah, right? The one we read about, the one that God was talking about in Genesis 3.15, the one the prophets were talking about. And he came, he's, he came. We know that he ascended, and we know that he's going to come back, right? So we know the Thessalonians... They, we know that they were confused about a few things that had to do with the return of Christ, okay? Um, and, and this is what Paul is going to talk about later on in, in this letter. But here's one thing that they weren't confused about, okay? They were not confused about the fact that he was going to come back. There was a lot of other stuff they weren't sure about, but here's one thing. They knew that one day he was going to come back. And so the fact that he's going to come back, he's going to return, he's going to come back, it was pushing them and motivating them to live in obedience. And look, that's exactly what we are supposed to do as we wait. We are waiting patiently for the return of Christ. We don't know when it's going to come. We, we have no idea. But we do know it's going to happen, that it is coming one day. And the return of Christ, it should be motivating us to be obedient like it might be when we're here, we, we might get to experience this in body, or it may be once we're gone, when we are in the presence of Christ and he comes back, whenever it's going to be. But this, this return, it should be pushing us and motivating us to live our lives in obedience. We've got to realize that we don't know when it's going to happen. And there are a lot of people who have never heard the gospel, a lot of people who have not responded properly to the gospel. We need to get busy. This is what the Thessalonians were doing. They were getting busy. They, they, were, they were growing in their own personal holiness. They were just so busy with evangelizing and sharing the gospel. We've got to do the same thing. We've got to know that the return of Christ, it's imminent. It, 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 is, it is near. We don't know when, but it's going to be any second. Could be. So as we wait, we should be obedient, like turning from idols, continuing to repent from our sin, continuing to serve the living and true God with our lives. We've got to spend our lives for the sake of the gospel. We've got to spend ourselves for the glory of God. Spend your life. Your life, if you've put your trust in Jesus, is no longer about you. So you've got to stop living like that. It's about him. It's about his glory. It's about sharing the gospel with as many people as we can. That's what it's about. And as we're waiting for his return, we've got to get busy. We've got to live this way, right? So this church in Thessalonica, it shows us this exemplary faith and it would be wise for us as we read this letter to say, okay, this is the way that they lived and Paul and God's word is, is saying, good job, well done, so we should model ourselves after this, right? Let's pray. God, thank you for the example that we have in scripture from this church in Thessalonica. God, thank you that um, we, can, we can read your word and we can see this example we know that we need to strive to do the same thing, that our faith should be put on display for the world to see, that we should be passionate about evangelism. God, please, God, help us to do this. I pray that um, we'd go to small groups now and that these discussions would be beneficial, practical, and, and helpful. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.